Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So what are fake diseases? Welcome to episode number 124. Today, I'm talking to Ryan Alexander. He's a nutrition expert and the author of the book, Fake Diseases. So sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful and important recording. Let's begin. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Reese. How would you describe a fake disease? The whole thing about diseases is things are called diseases in order to give the jurisdiction to a licensed medical practitioner. So that means drugs, tests, and surgery. That's what licensed medical practitioners are able to do. That's what qualifies them as licensed. So anything that does not require treatment from a licensed medical practitioner in the form of drugs, tests, or surgery, in my opinion, is a fake disease. So that goes from everything from high blood pressure, blood sugar problems, even bigger problems like cancer, autoimmune diseases. Why? Because drugs do not solve these problems. These problems are not caused by drug deficiencies. There are a few diseases which are actual diseases that are not fake diseases that are treated successfully by a medical practitioner. Those are mostly in the form of infections, basically. That's pretty much all they can really actually conquer, and that's really all they can call cured. All that other stuff, cancer, diabetes, blood pressure, all that stuff, they'll never call you cured anyways. That's not their purpose. That's not their... It's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to manage it forever, basically, and it's managed with drugs, tests, surgeries. The pain management system. Mm-hmm. So if you can control any of these things, and you can, you can control your own blood pressure, blood sugar, with the exception of type 1 diabetes, which is a birth defect, which does require insulin, everything else you can handle yourself, and therefore none of that should be called disease. And by the way, this is why we have things like obesity and addiction being classified as diseases. Why? So a licensed medical practitioner can use drugs, tests, and surgeries for those things. Right. And thank goodness for the emergency rooms. I, I salute them. But uh, you, you're right. It, it's it's a pain management system. They have no idea what to do with anything chronic. Absolutely. And chronic, chronic is a key word. They absolutely can save your life if you get hit by a car or you have a life-threatening infection or something like that. But all of the normal stuff that we go to the doctor for, it's not their expertise. It's not their wheelhouse. And they have horrible results basically, especially when we're talking about cancer and everything. Horrible, absolutely horrible results. Um, worse than that, your life is likely to be worse after their treatment yeah. than, than better. Yeah. How overstated is the genetic theory? Like, you know, passing genes, you know, someone says, oh, your heart issue is genetic. Well, it's, it's more than overrated. It's more than overblown, especially as we see, for instance, the, the occurrence of diabetes increasing. You know, and they're still sticking to the genetic theory. How, how is it genetic? You know, our genetics have not changed over the last 100 years. They definitely haven't changed over the last 10 years. You know, I would argue they haven't really changed at all in human history. So if anything is getting worse, then that speaks to the environmental influence of it. Nothing to do with genetics. What genetics do share, what families do share, is eating habits. Eating habits, thinking habits, environment. So if, if your mom 
gets cancer and you eat just like your mom, you're probably going to get cancer too. Well, you just said something very interesting. You said thinking habits. Now there's something that isn't talked about quite often. You know, when we dive into the subconscious mind, we start talking about beliefs and things of that nature. Oh, there's a lot of illness that can come off of thinking too, huh? Well, blood pressure is one of those great examples where we know that you can literally increase your own blood pressure right now just by stressing out. And you can also control your stress, the basic deep breathing, meditation, that kind of stuff. So our thinking habits are shared to a large degree, including the thought pattern that get sick and go to a doctor. That's very likely to be communicated at the family dinner table, basically, and that as a response to illness rather than staying on top of it, right? It could, you could very well have a belief system from your family that, no, you take care of yourself. No, we don't go to the doctor unless we're dying, that kind of thing. And that will reinforce the types of behaviors that you will need to do to take care of yourself. You go for the chicken noodle soup, gluten-free, rather than the, the Advil or whatever. That's a thinking pattern. Yeah. When you, when you tell someone, hey, the, the doctor can't really help you when they have something chronic going on, you know, this really freaks people out, man. You know, it can freak somebody out who isn't educated that, you know, they can, they can handle it themselves or they could, they could talk to someone like you who understands nutrition in the body. When are we going to, when is society going to switch to this kind of old school mentality of, you know, the, the grandma, grandma's prescription? Grandma's method is very effective and it's very effective that's part of the reason i wrote this book is to get away from these belief systems because if we believe that diseases are things that need to be treated by licensed medical practitioners then we will probably go to a doctor for again something that you can be in complete control of and if you think of a disease that way then you tend to think that you can catch a disease right whereas right. you can catch an infection and notice, by the way, I like to use the, the example of sexually transmitted diseases, because when I was growing up, it was called sexually transmitted diseases. Now they switched it to infections, STIs. And it's ironic that that's really the only class of disease that you do need to go to a medical practitioner for, number one. And number two, they do have success with. But it, it makes sense. And they changed the name disease. Meanwhile, it makes sense to call it a disease in that context. You do catch it. You do treat it with a licensed medical procedure. And you can cure it. You can use all of these words legally in reference to a sexually transmitted infection or another infection. It just doesn't make sense to think of anything else that way. It does not make sense to think of uh, diabetes type 2 or type 1 as transmitted, right, as a disease. Yeah. It implies that it's transmitted. It implies that you catch it. It's just not true. It's nonsense. And doctors are doing us a huge disservice by carrying on this language. But in a way, they have to. You know, that's the, the legal framework that they're trapped into. And we have to operate with that as well. But it doesn't help you as an individual to come to someone like me and say, I have arthritis, I have diabetes, right? The have implies that you have caught it. This is a, um, a noun. You're thinking of it as a noun, whereas it's a verb. Right. This, is, this is an action. It's a process. Mm. You've been moving towards the process of unhealthy blood sugar or unhealthy bones and joints. You can move in the other way very, very directly. But until you learn to think about it that way, what we're saying is kind of gibberish. It, it won't make sense, right? If you think that you caught arthritis, especially if you think it's genetic or something, and we're talking about vitamins and minerals and food, you're going to be like, this doesn't make sense. And it's not meant to make sense. If you speak to your doctor in plain English, half the time they answer you in Latin, you know, half of a doctor's training, not half, but a lot of a doctor's training is learning to speak Latin in reference to disease. It doesn't help the average person. And it does help the, the monopoly protect itself. You know, if, if we can't understand disease, then we, we might as well go to the professionals who do understand this language. Well, you just said the key word, monopoly. There it is right there. And it is a protective monopoly. And I mean, it's a great example of what we're living through right now. <laughs> there are pharmaceutical treatments that are available for this thing that is justifying worldwide communism right now. And the, the medical monopoly isn't even allowing itself to use those pharmaceuticals. We're not even pro-pharmaceuticals, but apparently ivermectin works and other pharmaceuticals work and they are being suppressed because it is a monopoly. The fact that it's a monopoly allows things to be suppressed. This allows nutrients and information about nutrients and, and truthfully, even pharmaceuticals like we're seeing with ivermectin 
that are being successfully suppressed. That suppression is only possible in a monopoly. If, if the genetic thing is overstated, nutrition is understated, it's almost not stated at all from a, a licensed physician. They're not trained in nutrition. How many chronic illnesses, we'll say illnesses, can be reversed through just simple nutrition? Pretty much all of them. Pretty much all of them. The one category that we're going to have trouble with is going to be birth defects. Now, we know that birth defects are caused by nutrient deficiencies in embryo. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to reverse it. I was born with my hips dislocated, by the way. They were wrapped around my neck. And so I had mm. what they called various things, but I call it stiff man syndrome. That seems to be the one that describes it um, the most. And the problem with that is I do have an essential tremor still. It's mostly under control. My hand's straight. But if I get too dehydrated or something, I'm going to start to shake again. My tremor is going to start to come back again. Mm. And I do think this has something to do with unformed nerves. And I don't think you can go back from that. So we can protect our children from getting most of these birth defects or all of these birth defects, especially type 1 diabetes, sickle cell anemia. It's called thalassemia in white people or the essential tremors and nerve malformations, stuff like that. We can prevent all of that with proper nutrition in embryo, but we can't reverse all of it. Everything else, everything else that you develop later in life, whether it's eyesight getting worse over, the, over time, if you're born with it, we can't do much about it. I was born with astigmatism. If it's degenerated, we can reverse it. If uh, you develop the blood sugar problem later in life, we can reverse it. And by we, I mean you. Basically, it's not we. We're not doing the treatment. That's a big part of this whole fake diseases thing, too, is that right. we're not even allowed to use the word treat. Right. So if you right. come to us thinking, right. looking for a treatment, we have to switch gears and make it exactly clear that we're not treating this problem. We're not supporting a problem. We're not managing a problem. We are supporting healthy blood sugar, supporting healthy bones and joints, supporting a healthy body under the assumption that the body can heal itself. It's trying to heal itself all the time. We just need to give it the right environment to do it. So if you treat your body by promoting health, yeah. it's under the assumption that a healthy body doesn't have a blood sugar problem, a healthy body doesn't have cancer, a healthy body doesn't have an immune problem or anything like that. Mm. Yeah, with, with birth defects, I mean, it's pretty obvious just looking at animals, right? If, if you don't feed two dogs correctly and they have a litter of, say, 10 puppies, one or two of them might not come out right. It's obvious, right? I don't know how obvious... It is, Kevin. I actually worked in the animal industry um, many years ago, a lifetime ago. We bred and sold exotic animals and the feeders that go with them. And it sounds obvious now in retrospect, but mm. we didn't put two and two together. I'm sitting there with a bone and joint problem. You know, they would call it a disease, but I'm sitting there. I can't move my skeleton properly. I've got chronic pain. I've got chronic stomach pain, headaches, all that stuff. And yet, we're giving our animals the powders that they need to avoid these exact same thing. Mm. And in the animal business, in the, in the pet selling business particularly, it's considered animal abuse if you don't supplement your animals. Yeah. I, I want to repeat that. It's considered animal abuse if you don't give your animals the powders mm. that they're formulated for that animal. If you don't give your snakes the powder, they will be born with crooked spines. They might not even make it out of the egg because their egg tooth might not form. If you talk to anybody in the animal business, they're going to say, this is your fault. You caused this. Right. And we don't apply that to humans. Meanwhile, we spent over a hundred humans have spent over a hundred billion dollars figuring this out in all animals. We know this to a science, to an exact science. Um, I live up on a place called the Canadian shield. It's a, it's a gigantic rock. It reaches all the way down into New York and Wisconsin. And it stretches all the way up basically to the, to the Arctic sea. On that rock, the Canadian Shield, there is no selenium in the soil, mm. zero selenium in the soil. Therefore, every farmer who operates on the Canadian Shield has to give their animals selenium shots when they're expecting to be pregnant. Mm. Has to. You have to. They will be born with club feet. They'll be born retarded. Excuse the word. I don't know what new word we're supposed to be using. Right. But your animals will be born with very significant problems if you don't give them that selenium shot. Mm. And so it sounds obvious when we know this. And I've met plenty of farmers who do this for their goats and they just don't do it for themselves or their children. And by the same token, I actually have met many farmers now who have gotten 
this in their head and they give themselves the animal, the agricultural grade selenium shot. They give it to themselves, they give it to their children yeah. because it seems to be the only way you can get selenium in our environment. And so, you know, this is the, the foundation of uh, your mentor, Dr. Joel Wallach's work, right? Seeing this with animals and saying, wait a second, <laughs> they're vertebrae, we're vertebrae. Why aren't we getting the same nutrition as the animals? That the animals, the, is the animal, insurance. right? The animals are a product when they're healthy, and we're a product when we're sick. Well, in the in the animal businesses, you're not going to be profitable unless you supplement your animals. Period. Your animals will have huge problems very quickly within one generation, and that's on you. And it, most people in these businesses actually care about the animals, so it's heartbreaking. You know, I've had it. I, I couldn't figure it out and say, okay, well, my animal, my, I had a lizard once that prolapsed. I don't know if you know, it's the intestine comes out the back end, uh, broke my heart. I cried for days because uh, I couldn't do anything about it. And I knew it was my fault. Right. Oof. And th this is what can happen with our own children, you know, and basically we, we know how to take responsibility for this. There's no excuse at this point, other than ignorance, ignorance that's supported by the medical industry. And again, why? It's because of insurance. It's because in the animal industry, we do not have insurance for animals. Interestingly, every time I say this now, I say that um, you know, we've solved this in animals basically because we don't have health insurance for animals. A bunch of people message or comment and they say, but I, I have insurance for my dog, actually. They're selling insurance for dogs, just like they're selling it for humans now. And it's absolutely criminal. And this is something you might not know about. I didn't know about it. Veterinarians are no longer being taught this stuff. All the stuff that comes from Dr. Wallach and the pet industries and everything, it is not being taught anymore. Veterinarians are now being taught that diseases like high blood pressure and diabetes and such, which do happen in cats and dogs and horses, they are being taught that this is genetic, just like human doctors are being taught that it's genetic. And they literally are managing dogs, blood pressure, blood sugar, arthritis with drugs. Mm. And why, are we, why is this happening? Because of insurance, the same insurance scheme that has dominated human healthcare, healthcare is uh, being now applied to, to animals with the exact same disastrous, heartbreaking consequences of sick animals that are not being prevented. And forgive me if I'm going long on this, but there's a lot to say on animals. Within my time in the animal business, in Ontario, they banned breeding dogs basically because it got so bad. Uh, people were concerned about puppy mills and this kind of thing. Well, Puppy mills were basically animals raised in cages, but they were being raised on dog food. Mm -hmm. okay. So they were having psychological issues because they were raised in cages. That's a problem. Raise any animal in a cage, it's going to be more or less a problem. If it has any sort of a brain, you know, a snake, perfectly happy in a cage. Dog, not so much. Cat, not so much. So they shut down that part of the industry. Basically, they made dog breeding illegal, more or less, because... They were having problems, psycho, psychological problems with the dogs and cats coming out of the puppy mills, cat and kitty mills. Mm. Problem is, they now switched into a private breeding scheme mostly, which is really run by people who really care. They're really passionate people about their animals. Problem is, just like human doctors, there's no required courses in nutrition. So over the course of my lifetime, and this, we, we did this business when we were quite young. So it's over the last 20 years, we've watched it happen where basically every breed now is retarded. Mm. And the, the word retarded, again, people get offended by this. This means underdeveloped. This means that you're going to hear of Dobermans having seizures, um, golden retrievers having heart problems, all kinds of things. All of it, 100% of this is caused by lack of nutrition in the animal industry. And this, I can believe that we watched this happen because it was so well established that all you have to do is feed your dogs dog food and they're going to be fine, basically. Right. How about muscular dystrophy and white muscle disease and that correlation? Well, that's another one where it's just a, um, a tragic ignorance. We know in the animal industry, white muscle disease is called, and it's called white muscle disease, whether it's a goat or a sheep or a dog, it's all called white muscle disease. It's very simple. You, well, the animal usually dies, by the way, because it's usually multiple problems. It's connected to enlarged heart or athlete's heart. It's caused by the same deficiency. So the, the baby goat that's born with white muscle disease is usually going to die of enlarged heart quite quickly. And it's very easy to tell because you cut the meat open and you can see it's white instead of pink. 
and no one wants to eat that that meat truthfully yeah. so we know we know the exact cause of that in all animals and we just haven't connected it to humans meanwhile dr wallach has dr wallach went to the Qishan province in china and did i think 1700 autopsies on children with Qishan disease which is another word for enlarged heart basically and he expected to find a reasonable amount of muscular dystrophy, but I believe it was 100% of those children had muscular dystrophy on the autopsy table. So there's a, there's a direct correlation. There. And this is cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, enlarged heart, SIDS. It's quite controversial. Let me mention, you know, Dr. Wallet tends to brush aside the, um, the needle, poisonous needle influence of SIDS. Well, one of the things that injecting poison into any human being does is it greatly increases the need for selenium. And selenium is the mineral, it's the master antioxidant, basically. It's the mineral that your body is going to need to deal with any poisons, including mercury, including whatever the heck, formaldehyde and all this stuff that, that's in these needles. So if you put a poison needle into a child, you've tremendously increased their need for selenium. The body's going to use whatever selenium's there. If there's none left, you might die of a heart attack that very day. Right. And this is cardiomyopathy, heart attack caused directly by selenium deficiency. Mm. Yeah. And, and Dr. Wallach, if I'm not mistaken, he got selenium uh, um, approved for, for baby formulas, right? Through the well, FDA. They had to fight the FDA. They yeah. had to fight the FDA quite Three times he sued him, right? Three times. Mm -hmm. And there is qualified health claims now having to do with selenium because of Dr. Wallach and his legal team. And apparently that was quite quite a battle. Truthfully, the FDA does not want to recognize the efficacy of natural solutions to problems. They didn't even want to recognize that, that uh, sudden infant death syndrome was an actual problem. Truthfully. Is Dr. Wallach a genius? <laughs> well, he, he reminds me of like a character from like the Big Bang Theory or something. Like he's just like, he, I don't know, he's in his 80s. He's still studying. He's still researching. It just, he's, he's a nerd. <laughs> In his words, he usually attributes it to God. He yeah. usually said, it, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. And if you follow his story backwards, it seems to be true. So he was born with health problems. He had the Tourette's much stronger than I did. Tourette's being any involuntary muscle movement, basically. And he would have it so much that he would, he would basically lock up into a technique, they call it, right? So he was too young to really know what any of that was. The story was he went to his nurse at school and his nurse couldn't really tell him anything. So he flipped through her handbook. And in the handbook, it said muscle cramps. It was the closest thing he could find. Muscle cramps was linked to a um, calcium deficiency. So his story is he went home and he switched out his cereal for calf pellets because <laughs> he knew by feeding the calves, the cows, it says on the box, you mix this stuff with the alfalfa because it's got lots of minerals in it, including calcium. So he started eating that and his problem mostly went away. So... <laughs> doesn't take a genius to stumble upon that, but he is very smart. I don't want to discredit him. I just know that he gives, he gives the credit to God. You know, he didn't, I think, intend to stumble upon any of this, you know, and it just, it just so happened his career, you know, led him through to working with animals and just so happened to be given the, the largest autopsy study in American history. Definitely. We're not sure if it's the biggest in world history, but we think it is at least on the, the widest variety of species. 454 species of animals plus 3,000 3, humans in that same study for comparison. So that was 17,000 of those 454 species of animals. It's over 20,000 autopsies total. That was an accident, you know? So he was given the largest data set that we ever had by accident. And he continued on his research career. Again, I don't want to discount him. I do think he's incredibly smart and he has an incredible wealth of knowledge, but he, he wasn't directly responsible for a lot of this. And even, even when, he, when he got fired for discovering the cause, cure, and prevention of cystic fibrosis in rhesus monkeys, which is what uh, pretty much effectively ended his, his research career, in his story, he had pretty much given up at that point. He said, well, you know, doctors don't care. I guess, I guess I'm done. But the world and fate and his new wife, Dr. Milan, you know, shoved him back into pursuing this as a, as a human career for the last 30, 40 years, I think it is, 40 years. I think mm -hmm. that was in 1978. I think he got his uh, human doctorate in 1982. You know, so we are, we're going on 30, 40, 40 full years here of this. And um, again, it has a lot more to do with, with fate than a, than a deliberate effort. And there's no way he would have known at the beginning that he was discovering 
almost the panacea to human health. And panacea is kind of used as a negative term, like, oh, these guys are promoting the, the answer to all the questions. Well, the fact is we have the answer to these questions in animals. Uh, we have very good case studies for the longest of populations. They also don't know what makes them live the longest. They just they happen to have this lifestyle that gives them access to these minerals and antioxidants, and they happen to live to their maximum genetic capacity. So a lot of this is accidental. It's formed Dr. Wallach's brain into something absolutely amazing. And you are right, at 80 years old, he's, he's still incredible, truthfully. And by the way, I'm, I started this when I was 26, started this business, and the people who brought me in kind of groomed me to, to become a speaker as well. So they put me kind of right up next to Dr. Wallach from the start. And at 26 years old, 27, 28, I couldn't keep up with him. I could not keep up with Dr. Wallach. This guy would show up earlier, no matter in my own town, he would beat me to the events. You know, he would show up earlier. He would be sharp the whole way through. By the end of the day, I'm exhausted. The whole team's exhausted. And Dr. Wallach's still there answering questions. Not only that, we're at dinner later. He's still going. He's still making calls. You know, we go back to the hotel or the whatever. He's up all night doing the, the radio show coast to coast. Like he is a monster. He's a monster. <laughs> Let me tell you, the only time I actually saw him sleep through the whole night is because um, he wasn't allowed to sleep on the couch that night. Normally, he would stay up and, and he would just stay on the phone. Everyone would go to sleep and he'd just stay on the phone calling everyone and doing all this business. But uh, this one time, he wasn't allowed to sleep on the couch because there was too many of us. He had to go in the guest bedroom and I actually saw him sleep for a night. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever actually seen him sleep for a night. It's crazy. And if people don't know Dr. Wallach in that, uh, in that regard, he is an absolute machine and you know, he might not, he may not look like the most fit individual or whatever, but he still blows me away. I still have a hard time keeping up with him and he's had a pretty severe injury for the last few years, by the way, uh, a few years ago, he fell in a hole in Toronto. It's a pretty serious hole and it gouged his leg up real bad. Mm. Of course he ignored it. He ignored his own advice and it eventually got really infected only saying this because even with that very serious injury, which actually could have killed him, it was that serious. The infection was that serious because he kept flying around and kept doing all this stuff, kept making it worse. Even with that injury, I have a hard time keeping up with him. Mm. It's insane. And because of him, we, we, we know about the 90 essential nutrients. Maybe that's why he's so go, go, go. He's got the these nutrients up in him for 70 something years. <laughs> He does take a lot. And he, of course he will credit his energy to that basically. Yeah. How important would you say to someone who's never heard of it is the 90 essential nutrients to the human body? Well, it's foundational. I mean, uh, again, with the dogs and the cats, if you feed your dog and your cat, the human food that you're eating made with love, fully organic, all that, it won't take long for them to develop a disease. It shows up much faster in a dog or a cat and they fail much faster and so that's it you read the label of your dog in, in the cat food it has the nutrients in it it might not have the entire 90 but it does have the trace minerals and the, the key minerals particularly especially the selenium and the calcium group so how important is it, it it's there's nothing more important there's mm -hmm. nothing more important um exercise i worked at a gym for four years it has almost nothing to do with health in my yeah. opinion yeah. I've seen people run on the treadmill for years, literally years, come in every day. I, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I, I, I used to be Rocky Balboa, man. Now I just go for walks. Walks are great. One of the, one of the best forms of exercise. I hate jogging and I hate salads. And I only use the word hate to dramatize it, but it's got nothing to do with health, basically. Right. The food in our grocery stores has almost nothing in it. You can eat all the salads you want. You'll never yeah. be full. You'll never yeah. be yeah. nourished. You know, technically you'll never be nourished. Yeah. And in our modern environment, there is simply no access to these trace minerals and the selenium and the, the big minerals. And if I, if I can here quickly, the longest of populations do several things that give them access to more nutrients. You've seen how important is it? Well, it's, it's everything. This is everything. You, if you don't have the nutrients, you will have a disease period because most of these nutrients are caused directly by, sorry, most of these diseases are caused by nutrient deficiencies. The longest lived people, they happen to live in places that give them access to water that is mineral rich that they can use to irrigate their fields. Sometimes they call that glacial milk, but it doesn't have to be glacial. You could live in a different place like Okinawa or whatever. They just have to have the minerals there somewhere, somehow. They also use wood ash because they burn 
either wood or manure or seaweed. All the minerals are present in trace amounts in, in the sea. So if you take seaweed or anything out and you burn it, now you're left with plant-derived minerals. The carbon is burned away and you're left with plant-derived minerals. So they irrigate their fields, they use ash, they put that ash back into their gardens in the form of compost, and they also eat it. The white ash, the fine white ash, prior to 1880, pretty much every cookbook in the world and every language in the world was going to call for culinary ashes somewhere as a thickener and also as a condiment. It tastes good. You add minerals to stuff, it tastes good. Mm. If there's not enough minerals in the soil, your turmeric will taste like nothing. It'll just... It'll just be yellow. It won't have the taste. Right. The, the more minerals that are in the soil, the stronger the taste is for all that stuff. But people throughout the world also added the wood ashes to their food, to their flowers, especially again, as a thickener, they had to make their own flowers. They had to mill their own flowers. So adding wood ash is a very convenient way to bulk that up. And they even cut their salt with it up to 10 parts, right? So it's nine parts wood ash and one part salt. People didn't know that. This is common practice throughout the world. And the last thing they do is the natural longest lived people eat the whole animal. And there's a, there's a pretty complicated explanation about the balance of all these nutrients. And the, the key to take away from it is the only perfect balance that exists is in the whole animal. So if we just eat the muscle, if we just eat the organs, if we, we're missing basically a huge chunk of what we actually need, which is in the bones and the joints and brain and all this stuff. So those three things, that's it. They, Longest of people, they get more minerals. How? They irrigate their fields, they use wood ashes, and they eat the whole animal, including the skeleton. So if we don't do this, this is why we have rampant arthritis, rampant diabetes, rampant cancer, and this is why all of these things are actually increasing. Yeah. Interesting. You say eat the whole animal. The bo bone broth is a very effective uh, tool for our own muscular skeletal system, right? Absolutely. Not only the... These wild people, again, they're going to try and use everything. So they're going to boil the bones for sure. They're also going to eat a lot of them directly. And then whatever is left, even out of the soup, they're going to grind that up. And they're going to add that back in, that bone meal back in as another thickener condiment. And if there is anything left, it goes in the compost heap and it gets leached back into the soil and they pulls it back up in the next set of plants. It's all recycled. That's one huge key that we're missing here. And, you know, Supplements aren't cheap, by the way, right? So there's a lot of people who will be like, right. you know, I, I don't know if I can afford this. Well, the natural people are also poor. All the longest populations happen to be poor. So they get the use. They get the most use out of everything that they got, including grinding up the bones and recycling them. So I, I've been pretty open on this podcast about, I'm pretty transparent about my own stuff. And, you know, I was vegan for 10 years. High fruit, vegan detoxing my brains out all the time. So I've seen a lot of success with people detoxing and getting over their illness. Is it sustainable? I, I don't, I don't think it is anymore. Um, I ended up B12 deficient, essential fatty acid deficient, cholesterol deficient, uh, vitamin A deficient. And I'm still working to get these up because my CRP jumped up to 6.1. <laughs> and it's like, what? Oh, how, how can anyone have cardiovascular inflammation when they eat fruits and vegetables and potatoes and olive oil? <laughs> well, so, Dr. Wallach found uh, vascular yeah. inflammation in Atlas sheep back in the, back in the late sixties, early seventies. I believe it was part of the big NIH study with all those, with all those autopsies. Some of them were, a few of them were Atlas sheep. Yeah. So how, how does a sheep get plaque in the arteries. This doesn't make sense. They don't eat cheeseburgers. It's oxidized oils. Yes. Yes. I have not had any oils in six months, man. Thank, thank God. No gluten. The, you know, the cholesterol, the, the, the fat deficiency, if you will, comes into play with a lot of vegans and this causes the heart and the brain to suffer. Right. And so to be clear for the listeners, this, this has nothing to do with eating cholesterol. Cholesterol, high cholesterol, whether it's LDL, HDL, doesn't matter. It has absolutely nothing to do with eating cholesterol. It has everything to do with inflammation. Inflammation, the primary source is going to be from oxidation. This is another thing that's obvious in retrospect, but it's somehow completely gone over the head of the entire medical world. In a biochemistry textbook, one that's not talking about humans, in a biochemistry textbook, oxidized oil is called rancid. Mm. Rancid basically means rotten, and it 
sounds gross for a reason. It's bad. It's meant to sound bad. We're meant to understand that this is a bad thing. Uh, but uh, with the whole Mediterranean scam, which is a scam, it was a conspiracy, a legit conspiracy where the American Heart Association was bribed $1.7 million to endorse Crisco and invent the, medical, the Mediterranean diet. This is the only reason that we consume oils, basically. And they never read the biochemistry textbook that says oxidized oil equals rancid. Well, rancid, again, means oxidized. Oxidized anything is a problem. This is why we need antioxidants. We produce free radicals, is what this full circle is, what these uh, radical oxygen molecules or oxidized compounds are called free radicals. This is why we need antioxidants. Antioxidants combat free radicals. We produce free radicals when we breathe. We produce free radicals when we exercise. We produce free radicals when we digest. So in the, in the natural course of life, we're producing free, free radicals all the time. In the exhaust of cars and everything, there's free radicals in the atmosphere all the time. And this is why we need antioxidants. And this is actually why we need more antioxidants in the modern environment, because those longest lived populations out in the Georgian mountains or the Hunza Valley or Okinawa, they don't have the car exhaust fume problem, at least not to the same degree. They might have it a bit now. Yeah. But some of these antioxidants are themselves essential nutrients. You mentioned vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin C, selenium, zinc. I mean, these are antioxidants. These, these molecules literally neutralize these free radical compounds. Oil, you can't out-supplement a tablespoon of oxidized oil. It's too yeah. much. Yeah. You can't consume that much selenium. Your body can't do this fast enough. Yeah. You can't consume enough zinc. You'll be sick. right? We, we physically can't consume enough antioxidants to deal with even one tablespoon of oil, oxidized oil. So this is, this is why. When this enters the body, our body can't deal with it, no matter what, no matter how many nutrients we have there, and it will damage tissue, including the tissues inside the veins and the little, the little vessels and arteries, and this is why it shows up particularly hard in things like eyes and kidneys, where there's a ton of these little tiny, tiny veins. If people don't know, the, the whole vascular system stretches to literally every cell in the body, right? So you've got these big vessels going to the heart. And yeah. they get smaller and smaller and smaller until they reach every single cell in the body. And where do you think it shows up first? It shows up in the smallest little veins. This is why with this type of inflammation, you can get anything from numb hands to gangrene. Basically, this is a slippery slope, but it's all caused by the exact same thing. It's inflammation caused by oxidation. Oils aren't the only source of it, but they're the biggest source for most people. Deep fried, we all knew intuitively that deep fried food was bad. This is why. It's because it's oxidized oil on a large dose. Burnt meat, burnt animal fats is going to be the same thing. Processed meats, basically the same thing. Uh, the skins of baked potatoes is the weirdest thing on our bad list. Most people, why is it skins of baked potatoes? Because it's oxidized, basically. Right. We can give it to other names, acrylamide and heterocyclic amines for same consequences. Free radicals. Too much free radicals physically impossible to combat that in uh, university a lot of universities will have at some point some course where you take a, a cigarette and you smoke it under a fume hood with a smoking machine and, and you capture the smoke and you measure what's in the smoke well if you weigh that smoke from one cigarette it weighs almost nothing in fact if you weigh a carton of cigarette smoke it weighs almost nothing well everyone knows cigarette smoke is toxic sure but multiple cartons do not add up to one tablespoon of oil. Right? This is why people ignore this oil part of our message. They think it's all about gluten. No, oil is so, so destructive because you physically couldn't even smoke enough to add up to your one French fries. Mm. You couldn't. You physically couldn't. You would die of smoke inhalation if you even tried. You'd be smoking all, literally all day, every day, and you would not add up to a couple of French fries in weight weight of free radicals and it's a yeah. physical thing it requires a physical molecule selenium zinc or whatever it requires a unit of antioxidants to deal with a unit of free radicals so if you if you put too much on this side of the equation you're screwed you just simply can't you can't keep up on the other side of the equation yeah i have a friend who has an aunt who uh it was that has recently been diagnosed with dementia vegetarian her whole life very strict with the diet you know this is sad because 
you know, I was, I was always under the notion, you know, that, that the fruits and vegetables will protect you from anything if you eat enough of them. But one, right, we're not getting the fat that we need for our brain. And two, you, you got to supplement, right? You just can't get enough from fruits and vegetables. It's not possible. Even those longest lived populations. Um, by the way, some, there's a lot of modern people out there saying like, you know, I'm sure you've read like the, the China study, or the Okinawa diet, diet. I mean, they're literally claiming these populations are vegetarian. It's just not true. There's no such thing as a, as a willfully vegetarian population. There is no longest lived, no wild population that, that avoids anything, really. They'll eat literally anything that's edible in their environment. And when they do catch an animal, they eat the entire animal again. But there's none that chooses to eat just vegetables and fruit. And I was vegan too, by the way. It was I consider it a brainwashing. I did it for political reasons. This right. was back when the uh, the plant based term was just coming into fashion, and it still pretty much meant plant based. It meant what it meant literally. It meant based on plants. It didn't mean entirely vegan. That's also a very very modern thing. Yeah. But I didn't last 10 years. I didn't last one year. I fell apart very, very, very quickly. And I added eggs back in and my hair started coming back. My hair color started coming back. This is in the early 20s. And so I was falling apart. I don't know if you um, believe in the blood type diet. I know Dr. Wallach doesn't really like talking about it. But the O blood type, which is the most common, which is what I am as well, seems to do particularly poorly on anything plant-based, anything even mm. approaching plant-based. And uh, so that was me and I fell apart very quickly. Now, the longest of populations out there too, they also incorporate what we would now call local, eat local. You know, they don't ship in pineapples from Ecuador right. to, you know, in, in October. They just don't, they don't, they eat what is available to them. And for the most part, fruits are not available to them. A lot of these populations live at high elevations. They have very, very little uh, fruits or berries available at all. And they eat them when they're there, but it's by no means a dominant force in their diet. And again, none of them, none, none does not exist. There's no population that says, oh, we're not going to eat, we're not going to eat that. They'll yeah. eat pig, they'll eat squirrel, they'll eat mice, they'll eat anything yeah. that they can. If it's worth the effort, they'll do it. Yeah. You know, I, I still love my fruit. I had a big bowl of grapes for lunch, but I balance it now with eggs and fish and definitely my 90 essential nutrients, you know, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's a, there's a balance. Don't we need some sort of balance? And you mentioned eggs, eggs, which, you know, could be considered a superfood. They're so demonized. Why is that? Um, well, I think the medical medium has quite a lot to do with that. Anthony Williams, uh, there's a lot of people who are claiming that eggs are going to be making them sick. Uh, people are claiming that eggs have given them acne. Now, I will agree. If you're severely imbalanced, eggs could be a problem. If you have a liver problem existing, eggs could be feeding that liver problem. You might need to get control of that first and foremost. You could do it by way of celery juice, but more likely it's a selenium deficiency. It's another selenium comes up again and again and again in this business. And anytime mm -hmm. we talk in detail, Liver health is pretty much fundamentally derived from having enough selenium. If you don't have enough selenium, you'll have what's called fatty liver or liver cirrhosis. And the liver is an incredible organ. You can cut it out over 90% and it grows back, assuming that it has enough selenium. So if your liver is not healthy, you may have a problem with eggs. And I think this is, this is part of the reason why eggs have been demonized is because we are in such a sick society. People don't know what to point the finger to. And once a digestive problem, once a liver problem has started, you can start to become sensitive to all sorts of foods. People come to us and say, I'm sensitive to, they might say the word allergic, but you have to have an anaphylactic allergy. You have to require an EpiPen for it to be considered a real allergy in our books and mm. any books, truthfully. So other than that, it's a sensitivity. And people come to us with all sorts of sensitivities, mangoes, bananas, you name it, whatever it is. I don't know if you've done hair analysis and that stuff. The average person is sensitive to a multitude of foods. And I attribute this basically to an unhealthy liver and an unhealthy body, very likely a digestive problem existing already, where the mm -hmm. body has basically identified a whole bunch of proteins that have made their way into the blood. They shouldn't have gotten into the blood, but they now have identified them as a pathogen, basically. It's what we call dirty blood or sticky blood in mm -hmm. the business. 
So if somebody has been salt deficient, for example, for a while, they're not breaking down the proteins strongly enough, or they have a liver problem, liver uh, drops bile basically into the gallbladder, the gallbladder releases it into the intestines, that bile helps the final digestion stage before it gets absorbed into the intestines. Well, if any of this goes wrong, you get undigested proteins going into the blood, the body will correct, correctly identify any of those proteins, whether it's eggs, mangoes, lettuce, it'll identify it as a pathogen and you could have a sensitivity to that for a long time. It can take a long time to really fully correct that. How did you discover Dr. Wallach and, and what made you jump on the, you know, to get trained up and, and, and start getting involved with longevity? Interestingly, it started with Alex Jones. Okay. I didn't even know who Alex Jones was, but Dr. Wallach went on Alex Jones and a friend of mine walks, watched InfoWars, Alex Jones, and that product that he was talking about was Tangy Tangerine. My buddy hops on a bus and he sees that product. The bus driver's got that product. Well, that bus driver's name was Nelson. He's, he's my upline. He's our upline now, basically. You know, so he brought little Dan into the fold. Little Dan told me. Now, he told me because he knew I was basically, I use the word crippled. It's a bit dramatic, but I grew up in pain. I couldn't play sports. I might look like I got all this energy now. I could not move. I couldn't do this for most of my life. If you called my name, said, hey, Ryan, I would have turned my whole body to look at you because either I would have been in so much pain that I couldn't move properly at that exact moment, or I would be so frightened of pulling one of my muscles out that I had just naturally learned to just move stiff and slow. So my buddy told me because he knew I, I was in horrible health and you know, Ryan reads books, so we'll give him the books. The books didn't really... They gave me Dr. Pollock's books. I read a bunch of them. I didn't get it. My friends were addicted to tangy tangerine, but tangy tangerine doesn't have enough of the minerals in it, basically for the, the bones and the joints and the mm. muscles. My main problem was a muscle problem. So I was on the tangy tangerine. I got just as addicted as my friends to that over the course of a year, but that didn't fix the problem. Old man Nelson, once again, dragged me to an event in Indianapolis. We heard Ben Fuchs speak. It finally made sense a little bit to me now. He grabbed me six sample packages. I took those six sample packages of the OsteoFX product. That's the mm -hmm. bone and joint support product. By about the fourth one, I could move fully for the first time in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was very dramatic. And I think the only reason that I took this up full force was because it, it, was, that, it was that quick. It was, I didn't even realize how bad I was. I didn't realize how unhealthy I was. I knew all this stiffness and everything, but I thought, hey, I was born with birth defects. This is just how it is. I'd gotten used to my life being in complete pain, top to bottom. And when it was shaken off, I just couldn't believe it. And I was almost enraged with a righteous indignation as well. You know, I don't blame my doctor for not knowing any of this, but like I, I grew up as a very miserable person mm. in pain, every type of pain that you can, that you can name. Mm. You know, how are you supposed to be happy? I, I didn't have a childhood because of this. Right. So when I was when I was able to shake it off in under a week, really righteous indignation is, is the right word. It's the correct word. Yeah. It was really, uh, really felt empowered to go and start doing this. Yeah. I started selling it right away. Didn't even know how to sell it. Wasn't making money on it. I was basically just buying it from Nelson and reselling it. But I guess I, I do use the word groomed because Nelson and others, they, they knew that not only was I capable and I had the testimonial to do it, but I also, I didn't have a job. You know, I was kind of a bum rolling around, just doing this and that and staying here and there. So it was very easy to take this up full time when I don't have a full time gig already, basically. Right. Right. And, and you've worked your way up to quite a status with it. Back years ago, I would have been much more keen to go into much more detail read all the books, watched all uh, Dr. Glidden's webinars, and I really wanted to know the technicals, but it didn't help me sell it. It didn't help me communicate it, especially to regular people. Yeah. So like my friends and whatever, just my mom and stuff like that, like the, having the technical know-how doesn't really help you that much. So I think the key to the success of the Instagram specifically has been in simplifying it. And you see a lot of our answers are very repetitive and they're very simple. It's entry level, get off the pad foods, get on the 90 essential nutrients. Don't even worry about the combination. Like just get started. Most of the time that's enough. And it, it's been the key to success has been able to just stick there. Keep, keep with the simple uh, people want to, sometimes people want the, the cellular explanation. 
you know, the bottom level explanation, Dr. Wallach might be able to give it to you. I might even be able to give it to you. You or LaShawn might be able to give it, but it's not really relevant. If you, if you stick with the basics, I do know people, they're extremely slow. They have, they were born slow. They know, they understand, don't eat the bad foods, take this stuff, mm-hmm. feel better. Literally, it's, it's such a simple equation. And I think it really is. we do a bad job sometimes at making it too complicated. Right. It, it is very simple. And uh, gluten is, is, is a huge thing too. I mean, I got my dad off gluten and oils. And then I got him on the 90 essential. He's healthier at 75 than he was at 74. When I was doing detox and I had clients and we were just going hard with the grapes and the melons and I could never get him to do that. The best I could get him on was steamed potatoes. And when I brought this simplicity to him, he bought in. He's healing <laughs> at 75. At 70, his, his lung doctor has brought his stage four COPD down to stage three. His insulin is down 75%. His kidney levels are coming down. His edema is going away. And his beer belly, which looked like he was pregnant and it was hard, yep. is gone. Congratulations. That's, that's the hardest thing to do in this business, truthfully. In four months. Wow. I, I've seen a lot of testimonials. And that's, you know, my own father is you know, one of the, the greatest testimonials I've ever seen. I don't really get surprised at this type of stuff anymore, to tell you the truth. Um, the first couple of times you saw it, it was like, wow. But once you realize, again, th- this is it. This is how simple it is. Uh, whether you want to talk about animals or the longest lived populations, it makes sense within Dr. Wallach's explanation. And if you do the basics, very likely you will see a dramatic improvement. Mm. My own father, all that, I didn't even really succeed with him. I told him to switch from beer to wine and he lost 40 pounds like right away. Same thing, <laughs> beer belly. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. You just got to get rid of the worst of it. And if they do actually get rid of the full 12 bad foods, that alone will probably transform their life. Um, my mother did not get off any of the bad foods, did not change the way that she eats at all, but she had osteoporosis, add in the products. A little while later, her bone density is strong enough where her doctor says, you don't have osteoporosis anymore. Mm. And that's with not changing the food, right? So we, there's two parts to our equation. There could be more. We could add medicine in as a third category, which is necessary sometimes. Some people won't get the result without a medicine, okay? But the two parts to avoid the bad stuff and take the good stuff, if you do one of them, chances are you'll improve. If you do both of them, chances are really, really, really good. That's uh, something close to a miracle. You can see, I mean, we've seen no joke. We've seen people get out of wheelchairs. I've also seen it with radiation, but it's not like right away they take a sip of minerals and they stand up out of the wheelchair. And also most people in wheelchairs aren't completely, they're not completely um, incapacitated. They're only have a very hard time or they have a lot of pain when they walk and stuff like that. So after a couple of weeks, even sometimes, more likely months, but usually within a few weeks, we have seen people get out of their wheelchairs, walk around the mall for the first time in 10 years. Uh, we have seen grandmas dancing on the table. They're so happy because they feel like they're 35 again. And this is almost, um, Ben Fuchs says, the sicker you are, the faster you can heal. That's one of the, one of the phrases in this business. Mm. It's kind of true. So when you're talking about 75, 85, I, don't, I expect them actually to have a much more dramatic result than a 20-year-old athlete. The 20 year old athlete might not even feel anything at all. You know, they're not sick. They don't, they're not breaking down. They might report that they feel better, but that's not really the pitch. The pitch is for them, it would be to avoid future problems. But when somebody is extremely low, if they're at one out of 10, you know, it's very easy to bring them up to eight or nine very, very quickly. Might take a while to get that last notch, but the 20, 22 year old who's already at nine is quite hard to quite hard to see an actual result and that's it's good we don't want anything dramatic to happen you want to avoid these problems in the future yeah some people are very against supplements they're like no it's not natural you know something like that what do you how do you respond to that well that whole story about how the longest lived populations get their nutrients with water irrigation with bones and with wood ashes that's supplementing whether we want to use that word or not there can someone can be a a naturalist um, they, they can want to do it the natural way. That's fine. 
you still need to get minerals in. And I usually just point them towards the plant-derived minerals. Uh, the, those natural people, they might not like the amount of ingredients in, for example, the tangy tangerine or something. Hey, that's fine. Message doesn't change. If you want to be a purist, it's a better word than naturalist, if you want to be a purist, you can eat your vegetables and your fruits and stuff, and you can get your vitamins that way. You can eat your meat and get your amino acids and your eggs and get your amino acids. And you have to still supplement with your minerals. Have to, period. Those long-sived populations, again, what do they do? They supplement their fields. They take, they take the wood ashes and they supplement their food. They put it directly into their food. You cannot do it without supplementation. And there isn't an animal that can do this either. Again, the cows, goats, you cannot just let your cows or your goats or whatever, you can't just let them graze. They will die. They will start to wither away. Chances are they will stop eating. If, whether it's a snake or something too, you're just feeding it mice. After a while, it'll stop eating. I promise. Because you need to supplement them. Because in the wild, animals know how to go and find their nutrients. In the wild, the, the cows and everything too, they will eat mice. They will eat bird eggs. They will eat the bird if they can catch it. They will eat it. Mm. They will chew on each other's bone, the uh, horns. If they're minerally deficient, they'll be chewing on the feed box. They'll, you'll start seeing them chewing on trees and roots. Yeah, they're horses, looking for minerals. Horses will start chewing too, right? It's called cribbing, right? That's one of the things I love in this business. We call it, call it munchies and humans, but it's called cribbing and animals. And if you walk onto a farm and you see there's bite marks everywhere, that farmer is doing a bad job. And chances are they know it. Chances are their friend told them or their father told them, what are you doing? You need to give your animals a salt block with trace minerals on it, or they're going to eat everything. And guess what? They're going to keep losing weight. So they're going to keep withering away. At worst, some of them, like, um, like a, a bull, for example, a bull cow, if it gets too mineral deficient, it will form kidney stones. And in animals, it's not just uncomfortable. Or cattle, it's not just uncomfortable. They'll get water belly and they'll die. You know, mm. so this could, this could be the difference in feeding your family next season or not, if whether right. you have this bull or not. So you can't play around with this. And people who think that um, I, I don't want to supplement, you'll kill your animals with that with with that mentality. You kill yourself with that mentality as well. So you you have to. You can find the most natural sources that you like. Um, sometimes people go as far as to say, "Hey Ryan, if I um, if I go to the sea and I get seaweed and I burn it, can I do it that way?" And my answer is, I mean, the people who do this in the longest of populations, they do this all day, every day. There is always something burning for fuel and for cooking, always, period. So this is like five pounds of this plant-derived wood ash, plant-derived minerals, about five pounds of it per stove per day. It's a lot. It's a lot of material. And if we were to try and replicate this in the modern environment, you're kind of just being wasteful. You're just burning stuff for no reason. If you live somewhere that doesn't have all the nutrients in the soil, which is most of the earth, then you're wasting your time spinning your wheels as well. Because if you get 40 out of the 60 essential minerals, you're going to die of a mineral deficiency of one of those other 20 min minerals. I know it sounds dramatic. Sometimes people go, let's count the times Ryan says you're going to die in a, in a speech. But it's true. If you get 89 of the 90 essential nutrients, you're going to die from the one deficiency that's left over. Mm. So you can't, you can't leave this to chance. The farmer can't leave this to chance. The pet breeder can't leave this to chance. And if you live in, again, pretty much anywhere, you're not going to get the nutrients. So we might The only well, exception is by using seaweed. Yeah, so we might as well just have the 90 essential nutrients and keep that baseline going inside of us, right? You might as well. Um, even further, again, on the bone, like the bone joint product is the one that got me out of pain. Why? Because that is the stuff that we need the most of. We we need more calcium and cofactors than all of the rest of this stuff pretty much combined. Right. Well, if you've ever made bone soup at home, you know that it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not the most convenient thing in the world to do. We do it, but man, in the summer, it gets hot in the apartments. You know, yeah, yeah. you're having this, you're having this boiling all the time. It's releasing steam into your apartment all the time. Well, if you're a peasant out there in the Hunza Valley, you don't have a choice. That's what's going down in your house all the time. The, the pot is boiling all the time with those bones in it. But it can make your modern living a little bit uncomfortable to do it that way. And if you've ever ground bones yourself, you know, it's it's a lot of work. Mm. This is why, you know, mom and grandma and kids basically would be in the kitchen all the time. 100% of the time dealing with this, dealing with the pot that's boiling, dealing with the grinding of this and the adding to that. And the it's not always directly split up by sex too. the old man who is retired from the field can be in there and help in the kitchen as well. But we split up the work is what I'm saying. 
when we are trying to do this ourselves, a lot of work. You better watch the pot all day. You better be grinding this. And, and it's too much work. In the, those longest lived populations, they always split up the work. Some people are working the fields. Some people are working the kitchen. And together, all of this effort adds up to having an abundance of nutrients. It's very, very difficult to replicate in the modern environment. And if you don't live by the sea, it's just simply not happening. Again, on the Canadian Shield, there's, there's millions of people that live in that region. And it's impossible for you to get all your nutrients, physically impossible. Burn all the wood you want, burn the whole forest down. You eat all the wood ashes you want. It's never going to happen because there's not enough selenium in the soil. And that's just one. If you superimposed all the maps of all the different nutrient dispersions, you see they're very different. You know, it might be selenium over here. And then there's, there's a know your over here and there's a few that you are sort of guaranteed to get like magnesium. If there's green and the leaf, then you know there's magnesium in it, but it becomes a real, real fool's errand to try and add it all up that way. It's just, again, impossible. Those longest lived people happen to live in a very few key places in, on earth that do have access to those nutrients, especially with volcanic soils and ocean soils. And in the cases of the Hunza Valley or uh, the Georgian mountains, where they have mountain streams that are traveling basically hundreds of miles collecting mineral dust as they go. So it's a, it's a dusty water that, it, that is full of pretty much all the minerals. So right now, sea moss is the new craze. And sea moss. Is there 90 essential in the sea moss? Well, sort of what I was just saying that all the minerals are present in seawater. That is concentrated every step up the, the food chain. It's called biomagnification or bioaccumulation. It's about 10 times. So if you there's one unit of X nutrient mineral, not vitamin, mineral in the water, then there's going to be 10 times that in the sea moss. There's going to be 10 times that in whatever animal eats the sea moss and so on up the food chain. Uh, toxins also accumulate. That's why you get more mercury up in tuna and shark and stuff like that. Red snapper, bigger fish that eat little fish, that everything is accumulated up in them. Can you do it with sea moss? Yes, but not economically. Not economically. And can do you just eat the sea moss? No. The people in Okinawa or um, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, they burn it. They burn the moss, right? So they're not eating it. You, you can eat it. You just physically won't be able to eat enough of it. So could you do it with sea moss? Just again, not economically. And we use humic shale, by the way. It's ancient compost, ancient plant, sea plant compost. We know that because the layer of limestone above it, it's on top of a mountain in Emory, Utah. It's like, uh, I don't know how, how, I think it's six miles in the air. I might be wrong about that. But mm. there's a limestone cap on top of it that has seashells in it. So we know that this is sea material, but it's all dried out. So it's basically desiccated sea moss. And so since it's sea moss, yes, we do know it's all the minerals in it. CMOS has very good marketing, so does Shilajit. We get this question all the time, can I get my minerals from this? Yes and no. You will spend way too much money trying to do it that way, unless you're burning it all day, every day. And again, you've got about five pounds of that stuff per day that you're putting in your garden and in your food. And you better make sure you're consuming it all, right? Those longest of people, again, they practice the, the local eating. So all of these nutrients, they're putting them into their fields, but then they're eating everything on those fields. They're not growing it to sell it. They're growing it to eat it, you know, so they're, they are getting those concentrated forms. They're not buying it in a bottle of sea moss. It's just not, it's just not enough. There's no way. So it's quantity. 90, yeah. The 90 essential nutrients long-term is going to be more economical and it's lab tested too. Right. So we know what we're getting. Well, yeah. When it's humic shale, I mean, the, I don't know if you've ever been there. You should put it on your bucket list to go to Emory, Utah and take a, take a tour of the mine. It's a very cool place. Taylor family will give you a tour for free, but they have a hundred cubic miles of the stuff, a hundred cubic miles. It's unfathomable. You can't even, you can't picture what a hundred cubic miles of organic plant material looks like until you see it. And even then you can't see the whole thing because it's too big. So when you compare that to CMOS, you start to realize, oh, that's why this stuff is so much cheaper than the CMOS because they have to actually grow the CMOS and process it, right? When you have an ancient, when you have 100 cubic miles of ancient desiccated plant material, it becomes very easy just to scoop it out, put it in water and concentrate it to the correct concentration. And by the way, you can also sort of gauge this by test. 
uh, by taste. If you taste the, the sea moss, it does taste like minerals. It's a little bit astringent. No, it's nowhere near our plant-derived minerals. And our plant-derived minerals, they're actually diluted because if, if we actually allowed, if we sold it at the maximum saturation point, which we could, it, Dr. Wallach describes it as it shrink wraps your lips around your face. It's that astringent, basically because it bonds with your water, the water in your face. So even our regular plant-derived minerals, some people describe that. They say, I take a sip and it feels like face sucks in because it won't even wait till it gets to digestion. It, it starts to bond with your water right away and start to go into you. And that's so you feel it a drying out feeling, astringency, like a really, really strong or really, really dry white wine. Mm. Whole point of that is if you take one shot of our plant-derived minerals and compare it with the um, shilajit or the sea moss, it's really nothing in comparison. Our stuff is so strong and the taste is a direct indication of how much minerals is actually in is, is in the compound. So we got to wrap up. I got more questions. We're going to have to do this again. <laughs> Anytime. Ryan, where can someone come find you, say hello and buy your books? Noticebooks.org. That's N-O-T-U-S, basically not us, not us books.org. All of my links are available there as well as my art links and all of our health products you can go to the health. All of it's contained there. And your book, Fake Diseases, is uh, on Amazon? Fake Diseases is on Amazon. It is on noticebooks.org. I am working on the counterpart to it called Real Nutrition that uh, basically talks about a lot of what we talked about today here. You know, the, the whole fake diseases thing, back to the start of our conversation, again, they, they call these health problems diseases so they can be treated by licensed medical practitioners. It's an extremely important part of the message. If you don't understand how to think about health problems, you're going to be running in circles and we're going to have a hard time helping you because we're not speaking the same language. Right. But the other side of the coin is how do people actually get their nutrients in the wild? So that's, that's going to be coming out soon, hopefully the end of this year. Cool. Ryan, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure on my end too, Dr. Reese. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.